Got some other good news, guys. Uh, the best news is Frank getting baptized. That is the best news, all right? Becoming a Christian. This doesn't compare to that, but emotionally it's good news to me. I got my Christmas tree up in November. You, you guys, my hair used to be jet black. But over December, I keep, you know, I'm going to get the tree up. Deb, I'm going to get the tree up. And everything in the world would happen. So long about December 15th, finally the tree starts to get up. And I'm going, why did it happen again? But this year, I was prepared. I planned. And man, I went into December with a Christmas tree full of lights. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself right now, okay? There's something about preparation, isn't there? And uh, as the whole world is preparing to celebrate Christmas, we all know Jesus was not born on December 25th. We know that you don't celebrate him one day of the year. 365 days we celebrate him. But we love the holiday. We love the culturally people like doing that. So, hey, you know, we get in sync with the culture. So I, I want to say, all right, everyone's thinking December 25th, but you know what? There were Christmas preparations going on before whenever Jesus was born. And I want to talk about one of those preparations. Look over in Luke, the first chapter. Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and starting there... In verse 5, we read, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand, at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God had his own Christmas preparations in mind. And of course, the case could be made. This 
Preparation was all the way back from the garden. The promise he made that, you know what, I am going to have redemption for you. But the more immediate preparation here is the birth of John the Baptist. And what was said about him? That he would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And he would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, it's interesting. It's like you're thinking, why in the world did John have to come? Just, you know, Jesus, get born, come, start your ministry, and everything's good. Why this preparation? I don't think I can answer that. I don't know all the reasons, but I do understand this. Before any significant change can happen, Something tumultuous needs to happen. Anything that's ever you've ever changed in your life, that boy, you look back on, that was a change. There was something that preceded that. Maybe a deep conviction. You finally saw something the way you should have seen it. Maybe something happened to you. But whatever it was, it wasn't this kind of, I kind of moseyed into changing. No, you never mosey into a change. Something turbulent happens. Something comes that kind of, Upsets the cart. Ah, so God was going to raise up someone and put the spirit and power of Elijah in them. Now, what is that spirit and power? You go back and you read 1 Kings. Look at Elijah when he faced down the 400 prophets of Baal there in Mount Carmel. One guy against 400, and man, he was taunting them, and finally he just demonstrated it. I mean, there was no... You had... No problem understanding what Elijah said. No one ever got mixed up. Wow, he kind of suggested a lot. Yeah, he didn't suggest anything. Elijah laid it out. Power, spirit. And so God was sending John the Baptist to what? To prepare. He was going to upset the status quo, and he did that. And you know what happened? Some people hated it. Many people loved it. It's like, finally, I thought things should be different. But he came in there, he didn't mince any words. You know, sometimes we get so conflicted because we know in our hearts, I need to make some changes. But then we get afraid of what that would mean. And we think, boy, if I were to make a change, look at all that could happen. And sometimes that is the very conflict. That's the very tumult that we're avoiding for us to finally come to a conviction, I need to open my heart to God and change. I want us to look at this because I want us to prepare for Christmas in our hearts. And I'm not talking about December 25th. I'm talking about Jesus being in our hearts. Now, those of us that are Christians, well, he's always been in my heart. Interesting. Revelation 3, he's talking to Christians saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door... I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. Yeah, the Spirit lives within us, but we can suppress him. We can quench him. We can resist him. So as far as really opening our hearts to Jesus, that's really a daily decision that we make. I open my heart to you. You are the Lord. I am here to do your will. I belong to you. That's a decision that we need to make. And so, how do we get to that point? Well, let's see how God prepared for Christmas. First of all, let's look at the purpose 
Why was John the Baptist sent? And the purpose right there is to make ready, this is verse 17, a people prepared for the Lord. Did you know that you need to be prepared for the Lord? Did you know that I need to be prepared for the Lord? Oh, well, Jesus is in me. Really? Really? Is he really living his life through me? Or am I living my life and every once in a while I'm trying to add him in? Let's do a little Jesus seasoning in my life. It doesn't work that way. I have got to be prepared for his coming. I've got to be open-hearted. I've got to be in a good place. And so John the Baptist was coming to make ready. Make them ready. Get them open. Get them seeing, wow, the old way or the way we've fallen into is not the way to go. I need to change. Get that heart open. His whole purpose was to make us ready to get us to be prepared. Look over in Luke chapter 21. You know, you've got to be have a spiritual sensitivity to be prepared. You have to do that. When I graduated college, my initial goal, I wanted to go to law school. So I was going to study for the LSAT and do that. I needed a job because I'm hanging out in Gainesville and, you know, uh, I needed to get some work. So I got a job as an iron worker. And I really loved it. I tied steel, did rebar, and then the carpenters come, pour concrete on it, all of that. And the rebar in the concrete keeps the concrete from shearing. And so I was doing this. I did this for like about a year and a half, and it warped my mind. And it's funny because a, a, a brother and I, uh, in the church, he also became an iron worker, and he and I were talking one day. He goes, you know, have you ever noticed it now? Anytime you walk into a building, you start going, I wonder what size rebar they... He goes, I never used to think that. And it's so funny. It changed the way I viewed the structure of every building. I walked in, it's like, wow, I'll bet they used number five in that. And to do the span, they... And I'm going, what am I doing? When I, I used to live my life completely oblivious to that, you know? But now that I was being an iron worker, all of a sudden I had a new view of reality, of the structure. I saw things that before I had never seen, even though they were always around me. Well, that's the same thing with us being prepared. God wants to make us ready to be a people prepared for the Lord. Jesus, it was said in, in, in Titus 2, verse 14, he came, why to, uh, you know what, I'm not going to, hold your place in Luke 21. Let me make sure I don't butcher this. To prepare a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Salvation is not about just being forgiven from the wrath of God. Salvation is about belonging to God. Someone that said, well, I'm forgiven, but they're not living for it. You know, that's not salvation. That's not the life that's been given us. All right? Jesus came to, to have a people that are his very own. To be prepared, I've got to be spiritually sensitive. Look in Luke 21. Now, that sounds easy. Well, let me just kind of go to church. I'll be spiritually sensitive. Let me read some Bible verses every day, and I'll be spiritually sensitive. Let me say a prayer, and I'll be spiritually sensitive. Not necessarily. 
I can do each of those things without having my heart into it. I can do it out of tradition. I can do it out of like taking a vitamin. You know, let me, oh, I forgot my vitamins today. Boom, pop by and go on. I can do that and it's not meaningful to me. Jesus knew the challenges. And so in, in Luke 21, there's a teaching here and he weaves two strands of thought. One is the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming and the other is the end of time, day of judgment. But the similarities between the two are is all this. There's a catastrophic event coming and people are not prepared. And they're not prepared because they are not watchful. And the same thing that's going to cause people to get caught up in the destruction of Jerusalem be the same thing, get people caught up at the end of time. Their minds are elsewhere rather than being sensitive to what's going on. And so he says in Portia's uh, teaching here as he's weaving them back and forth in verse 29 of Luke 21. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and, and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Listen. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man." Those that escaped the destruction of Jerusalem were those that were on the watch. They knew that, hey, you know, things are kind of going on and on. Oh, the Roman armies are coming, but won't be a bad thing. No, they remember what Jesus said and said, wow, things are, I need to get out. They were watchful. It didn't surprise them. They weren't just caught up in their life all of a sudden. Oh, no. But that's how we have to be. We have got to be spiritually sensitive and watchful. Throughout, we've got to see life through the eyes of God himself. When it comes to importance, priorities, passions, everything. Because if we don't, we all of a sudden just get weighed down, don't you? Think of all the things we can get weighed down by. There's a lot of things to get weighed down by, right? There are times I almost don't want to get out of bed. It's just weighed down here. And I don't have a spiritual outlook until I stop and I open my Bible. Now, why am I opening this? So I can read a verse like a little charm, hang a cross around my neck or do something like that? No. I'm reading this to live. I'm reading this to know God and for him to know me. I'm reading this to open my heart. My heart's prepared, God. What is your will? And when I pray, Father, I want to connect. And sometimes I don't have the words to pray, so spirit has to intercede, right? Like Romans 8, and groans, you know, too, too deep for words. But at least I'm there because I'm there. Tell me, O oh Lord, what do you want? I am watchful. I am sensitive. This is how I view life. Then, as I'm like that, now my heart is really prepared. I'm ready to be led by God. When I come today here at church, 
I don't believe that fellowship is an accident. People I see, things that I'm listening for. I believe God speaks to me through you guys. That's why I have fellowship. What's going on? The things that you're learning, even your trials. See, that could just be someone sharing something, or let's be a little more spiritually sensitive. Maybe God wants me to learn a lesson through some of the things you're struggling with. Maybe God's trying to get something into my heart, you know, and I'm open. That's why some of the greatest life changes for me have come into fellowship. As disciples share what they're going through and following Jesus. Yeah, the purpose for John the Baptist was to make ready a people that would be prepared for the Lord. As you're getting ready for your Christmas holiday season, let's remove that. Let's just say, as you get ready for life today, are you allowing yourself to be made ready to be prepared? Are you approaching God heart first? Say, here am I, Lord. Whatever your will is, I'm here. And as you read, as you pray, as you fellowship, you connect. That's the purpose. That's Christmas preparation. So, John the Baptist, that's his purpose. How's he going to accomplish this? Two focuses. Look back there in Luke, the first chapter. Now, this one was a real challenge for me. I looked at, because, you know, I'm thinking, now that's unusual. Look what it says in verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's the first focus. He's going in the spirit and power of Elijah. Why? To teach something deep, to do, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. I went through several different commentaries, see what people, people couldn't agree on what they thought that meant. And so I'm thinking, okay, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. I mean, many people say there's something, obviously, when the family is going through crisis, then society goes through crisis. So John the Baptist is going to get people, you know, families back where they need to be, you know, and who they need to be. But he does single out the fathers here. He does single out the fathers. And I go in the New Testament. When I look, okay, what should I do as a father? There are two places it specifically tells Sheridan as a father what to do. In Ephesians, it tells me not to uh, exasperate my child. In Colossians, it tells me not to be harsh. Now, it doesn't tell the moms to do anything. Now, I'm not sure that's really fair here, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, let's go after the dads here, God. What's the deal? You know what? I'm not sure why that is, except maybe there's just more hope for women than there is for men. Maybe that will start to... No, I think this. Here's the thing. The moms, you know, we know what a maternal instinct is. And you see the examples of moms throughout Old and New Testament. The commitment, devotion is amazing. The dads... Can go up and down. Why is that? You know what? When dads aren't being dads the way God 
has said for them to be, there are serious consequences in society. That's not a preacher. That's just family counselors will tell you that. When dads are not involved and engaged or absent or abusive, there are consequences in society. God created fathers to protect and to give direction and to take care of. That is the purpose of a dad. That in the Old Testament, protect, give direction, and take care of. Okay? All of that was first spiritually and then all of the other ways. So what's happened in Jesus' time? When, when John the Baptist came, he upset the status quo. People had gotten religious. Once you start getting religious, guess what? You're not going to be the dad you need to be, the mom you need to be, the husband you need to be, the wife you need to be, the son you need to be, daughter, brother, sister. It all goes because those are all spiritual creations. Now, people live their lives in those roles without God. And I'm not saying that everyone that does it without God is a failure. That's no, that's not, because they're all creating the image of God. So they'll do some great things, right? But when Jesus was coming to, let's prepare this, he was going to make sure, okay, you know what, fathers, I want you to turn your hearts back to your children. It is not the mom's job to raise your child spiritually. Those of you that are single moms, hey, you are fine. God will take care of that. In fact, let me... Let me let you know uh, a little thing. It's amazing about children. When they know that they're with a single parent, they give a lot of grace because they expect the single parent to be the best they can be. And they'll always know that. When there are two parents in the home, the expectations go really big. And because the expectations go really big, the disappointment can be equally as devastating. They understand that. So what is John the Baptist doing? He's going He's going to turn the father's hearts back to their kids. You look at your children. I don't want you to teach them a trade only. You teach them the character. I don't want you to teach them about being responsible only. You teach them the whys. I don't want you to just teach them about being a good citizen. I want you to teach them about respect and caring about people and treating women right. And we can go on and on and on. Turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Make sure they don't get lost in their own ego and doing what they think they need to do. And all of a sudden, the the mom is supposed to take care of things spiritually. Turn your heart back to your kids. Sometimes dads want their kids to be a great reflection of me, you know, and I made them like me. Oh, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. What if your character needs help? But I tell you what, you show me any dad that says, you know what, I love God, I love you, son, and they don't force it down kids' throats because, see, a father understands. A father is gentle. A father is strong but is gentle, but they will figure out a way to talk about what God means to them, and that's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. It's not about shoving it down your kid's throat. You need to be a Christian. You need to do this. You know, they need to choose that. But give them an example to choose. Dads, give them an example. Be directional and apologetic at the same time. Now, how do you do that? Very simple. You give a direction. You say, this is what needs to go. 
And if you're wrong, you go back and say, I am sorry. I messed up. I did. Will you forgive me? Sometimes dads, well, I'm going to give direction. They don't ever apologize when they mess up. So the kids know, yeah, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. Be someone of deep conviction and humble at the same time. How do you do that? It all comes in what you really believe in the core of your being. This is what I believe. This I cannot compromise. But there's a humility. There's a respect with which you talk to people and deal with people. Kids need to see that. But you know what? That's not going to happen unless the hearts of the fathers say, this is important. I want my child to have the best shot possible at choosing to follow Christ. I cannot force them, nor would I force them, because it's all a heart issue. You can't force a heart, can you? But you know what? I want to have conversations. I want to have be open with my life. I want to do whatever it takes so that my kids will look at me. And even if they say, you know, I don't know if I believe what he believes, but doggone, he does believe it. He's trying to be as consistent as he possibly can. John the Baptist knew, coming into this society, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their kids. And so now we'll have other generations getting prepared for the good news of the Messiah and to follow him. And then the other focus, as we close out here, what does he say in the rest of the verse? He says, and he's supposed to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Now that's weird. Why don't you say, let's turn the disobedient to the obedient. You know what? I'm all for obedience because the Bible says it, right? And you guys have heard me preach long enough to know Sheridan will go to 1 John, talk about obeying God, you know, and all of that, and absolutely. But did you know that there's a time when obedience can be wrong? It's when it is used to mask a deeper disobedience. You know, Jesus would talk about the Pharisees. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, you know, but you don't do justice, love, and mercy. So they were obedient in their tithes, but it covered up, masked a greater disobedience. See, sometimes we can look for, what can I obey that'll, you know, cover this? And so that's why John didn't send to, to, for the disobedient to become obedient. No, they've got to understand why they're obedient. They've got to go deeper. So you know what? What are they going to be turned to? The wisdom of the righteous. Go over to James 3 real quick. James 3. Look what James says. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, 
impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. You know, we all have a wisdom. It can be a worldly wisdom. It can be heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom is all of the whys we do what we do. And this is the best way. Sometimes we'll have slogans, you know, he with the most toys wins, you know, at the end. Or you, you do things. Like, that's a wisdom. You think of, as you've calculated and thought about reality, this is what you come up with. Right here, John is coming. In order to prepare God's people, they, the disobedient need to be turned to the wisdom of the righteous. What is the wisdom of the righteous? They are people that look at reality and they make their decisions based on purity, peace-loving, consideration, submission, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's what's going on. And all of their life decisions and who I ought to be and how I'm going to live, those are the ingredients go into that. What's wisdom of the world? Envy. Man, that person has this and they're this and they're famous and I'm not and all this. And selfish ambition. How can I, 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 I? And so all of their decisions come back to that. And so John the Baptist is making Christmas preparations, coming into a society where many people had lost the heart, would do all of the, quote, right things, but for all the wrong reasons. It became about them and their ability. It was a selfish ambition to get known, to earn a reputation, to be better than. And John was coming in saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way you decide on how you ought to live. God himself says, this is how we're to live. The humility, the peace, the submissiveness. Not submissive, and but submission to God's authority. This is how I live. And so when John the Baptist came, it's like what they say down south. The fur began to fly. People were upset. The status quo is going crazy. And so he ended up where you knew a guy like that's going to end up. In trouble, in jail, without a head. All right? But all to the glory of God. Jesus comes on. And already, Jesus' first two disciples have been disciples of John. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And Andrew and John went and followed, and the rest is history. But they went and followed, and I'm sure that their hearts, when they became family men, were turned toward their kids. And they learned that life was not about, you know, doing this, 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 and having a nice badge. It was about seeking God, connecting with God, walking with God, and that heavenly wisdom, that righteous wisdom of this is why I do it. Peaceful, peace-loving, submission to God, humble, impartial, pure. This is how I live my life. That's a lot better than me setting up a Christmas tree in November, isn't it? This is the real Christmas presentation. And brothers and sisters, the good news is my Christmas tree is coming down. January 2nd, it's gone in the garage. But what we just talked about here, because we will be prepared for the Lord, will live forever.